What is up, everybody? Welcome into this Wednesday episode of Flippin' Bats. And boy, oh boy, we got a great one for you today. There was some drama on Monday night with Aaron Judge against the Blue Jays peeking into the dugout. What was that all about? Interviews, comments? Well, it's great. We'll talk all about that. Justin start Tuesday night against the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll break that all down, as well as being joined by Anthony DeComo to talk Mets, Rowan Kavner to talk Padres, Dodgers. This one's going to be a blast. Let's get to it. Start the show already. This is going to be a fun one. There is a lot to talk about. And as I mentioned, I'll be joined by two guests who cover baseball for their job, which is going to be a blast. Talking Mets, Padres, and Dodgers, all very uh, good topics to discuss right now. But first and foremost, let's talk some Aaron Judge and what happened Monday night in Toronto. So let me just paint the picture situation comes about with Aaron Judge at the plate where he is caught on camera peeking over into the Yankees dugout, peeking over to his right. The Blue Jays broadcast picks up on this, shows the replay, and they start talking about it. And what do you know, as they're discussing this, Aaron Judge hits a massive, massive home run. But what they had to say was certainly interesting. Let's listen in on that. All right, Buck. So you and I looked at each other at the same moment right when we saw this three yeah. pitches ago. Watch what he's looking at. Yeah. What is that? Where is he looking? Where is he looking? And he did and it more than down. once. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really unusual. But you and I both looked at each other when yeah. we saw that. Like, did you see what I saw? Yeah. And you don't want to go, you know, throwing allegations around without knowing, but no. Nah. And you know what? Yeah, I, I have had guys look back when I was catching, and, and you obviously could see it. And he he couldn't see the catcher with the way he was looking right there. Yeah, just did it again. And he pummeled it. He hit it a country mile for his second home run of the night. The timing as they are talking about this and what he could potentially be doing, and then immediately hitting a massive home run is admittedly hysterical timing. And to me, and full disclosure, I'll explain all of this in a second, this was rather a, a, a non-issue. But then he was asked about it post-game, and we have to check out those comments. Was there anything going on there as far as uh, what, where you were looking during that time? For what? Um, right before you hit your second home run in the game. Oh. Yeah, I was kind of... A lot of chirping from our our dugout, which I really didn't like in the situation where it's a six nothing game and I know Booney got tossed. Like I was trying to save Booney by calling timeout, like, hey, hold up here. Like let me let me work here. So I was kinda of trying to see who was who was chirping in the dugout, so it's six nothing. Like let's Booney got tossed, let's just go to work now. Teammates kind of checking on your Yankees teammates? Yeah, I'm kinda of looking like who's who's still talking here? It's six nothing, and our manager got tossed. He did his job. Like, let's go back to playing ball. So, 
Aaron Judge was caught on camera peeking out of the very corner of his eye into the dugout multiple times. And then post-game said that the reason he was doing that, after he was caught off guard with the question, that his, his reasoning was he was looking at his teammates to see who was chirping in a 6-0 ball game. This answer is hysterical. There is absolutely no chance that you are hitting and ready to face a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and you are peeking into the dugout seeing which one of your teammates is being annoying chirping at the umpire. There is absolutely no chance that that is what's happening. Now, the reason that I say this situation as a whole is is rather a a non-issue for me is because this is baseball, and this has been happening since the beginning of time. I am sure that the Yankees had something on this pitcher. The dugout was able to get something, pick up on something from the pitcher somehow, some way. That is the only way you are looking in the dugout. This has happened a million times in baseball. It happened to me hundreds of times in my career where the dugout will say, we got something, peek over in our direction pre-pitch, and we'll either we'll give you a signal, we'll do something. So last second, you peek over. But you get four at-bats a game. Right? On average. You're getting four at-bats a game. You are not peeking over into the dugout to see what teammate is acting acting a fool before the pitch. You're just not doing that. You're clearly looking at something, which in my opinion is, is not an issue. It is baseball. So what I will say to the people online that were saying Aaron Judge is cheating, he's not cheating. This isn't cheating. This, this is baseball. And If you're tipping pitches, that's been something that's been around since the beginning of time, and it's all about finding a way to relay it to a batter. Timeout here, there is a line, right? There there is and has been a line since 2017 or, or whenever what came out, whenever the year was, I believe it was 2019, came out about the Astros and what was going on with them and speculatively with other teams around the league. That is a line. Using technology to get in the catcher's legs and figure out signs, that crossed a line. But what does not is your teammates getting something from the pitcher, being able to see it from the side, and and relaying it to the batter. I was doing that in high school and in college. And then you get to pro ball, and we had meetings once a week on how to pick up pitches from either the catcher or the pitcher, how to relay it to the batter. That's why I truly believe this is is a non-issue. And this is not considered cheating. But the comments, I mean, come on. We're not, you're not looking in the dugout for any other reason other than your teammates have something on the pitcher. And, and that's, that's okay. That is part of the game. Now, what originally I, I thought might be the case, it looked like Alejandro Kirk behind the plate might be putting down signs, but then it appeared he was going to pitch calm. Uh, and, then it was, and then it was found out that he was using pitch calm. So there were not signs here uh, that – that they were picking up from the dugout from Kirk themselves, but there are a million ways, literally millions of ways, maybe not literally millions, but plenty of ways that you can pick up signs from a pitcher from the dugout. Uh, maybe the first base coach has something. Maybe the third base coach is able to see something. The majority of pitchers are in one way or another tipping their pitches. And it's part of baseball. It's part of the mind game of baseball, figuring that out and relaying it to your teammate at the plate to give them a better chance to succeed. I don't consider that cheating, and nobody should. So if you're out there seeing the video saying, 
Oh my God, Aaron Judge is, is cheating. Stop that. Stop that. No, he's not. But if you're also on the wavelength of hearing his postgame speech and saying, that's Aaron Judge, that's the leader of the team. Yes, Aaron Judge is the captain, and he is a great, great leader of the New York Yankees. But come on. this it, He wasn't looking in the dugout. Seconds before a pitch where you are completely locked in. Aaron Judge is one of, if not the best hitter in the game of baseball right now. And you can't divert your, your time and your energy while you're in the box doing the hardest thing in all of sports, which is hitting a baseball. You can't divert your, your energy and your eyesight to the dugout to make sure your teammates aren't chirping the umpire. That's just not what's happening. So I believe here that the issue that the situation of him staring into the dugout is essentially a non-issue. It's baseball, and it always has been baseball. But again, the the comments all around the comments are just hysterical about Boone getting thrown out, and it was a six nothing ball game. So don't be chirp. Look, that that ain't the case either. So uh, all in all, that's what I have to say here. Aaron Judge not cheating. Don't call him a cheater. He's not. This wasn't that. But the, I just had to talk about these comments. Truly hysterical. So uh, a lot to do about nothing really in Toronto the the broadcast picked up on him looking at the signs again always a part of baseball baseball polices itself if you're caught looking down into the catcher's legs that's always been a part of baseball and guess what you're gonna get drilled if you keep doing that the catcher's always looking up at you though and seeing if seeing if you're looking in their legs but if you're looking in the dugout the game polices itself um, a, a non-issue I just thought the comments were hysterical from Aaron Judge uh, in Toronto Monday night Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, from Monday to Tuesday this week, one New York team to another, Justin made his city field debut for the New York Mets, and it did not go as he wanted, as Mets fans wanted, um, as I wanted. Just not a, not a great start, really, for Justin. Five innings pitched, eight hits, six earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts against a very, very good Tampa Bay Rays lineup. There is no doubt about that, but uh, Justin – a couple of good starts to start the year. First one was pretty good. Second one, very good. And this one against the best lineup he's seen so far, just not great. And and I saw a little bit of what I saw in his last few starts. I just wasn't able to get away with it today against or Tuesday against that lineup. Uh, Off-speed stuff hasn't seemed to be found yet, really. Against the Reds, he found it at a certain point. But early in the game, he didn't. And uh, that, that came back to bite him. Most of the damage was done from Isak Paredes with two home runs. A lot of those runs given up came off the bat of him. Uh, but this lineup in the Rays just, just fights. And they were able to do that against Justin. He had 83 pitches with no outs in the fifth inning. Even guys in that lineup like Brandon Lau, who have not been hitting great lately, just putting pitches and pitches and pitches in him. And next thing you know, his pitch count is elevated. Uh, and they're doing damage off of him throughout the game. So not the homecoming he wanted for the Mets. 
he spoke about it after the game and specifically spoke about that off speed that I just mentioned and, and what I've seen where his off speed just hasn't been found yet. And uh, it, it just feels like it's a little bit off. And he mentioned that he's got some work to do and has already gone in uh, before he did his post game interview, even went and watched some video and saw some things mechanically that he's been doing that he feels like uh, he can be better at. Uh, just said something's off and it's time to fix it. And obviously it's just three starts into the year for him, but it's, it's no, um, no secret that this Mets team is struggling and there is uh, re really, there's no time to, it's obviously three starts into the year for him, but there's no time to, to wait and, and to hope things get better. It's time for things to get better. And uh, for him to already be looking at video and finding things, I think is a good step in the right direction. But one thing he said, obviously, pretty, uh, pretty frustrated after the game. But he did say that sometimes it takes games like this to kick you and make you study and fix things. And that overall today was just not good. And, and he needs to be better. And went on to talk about this Mets team and how everybody is, everybody is frustrated. He was talking about the booze to the, to the team. Um, and how obviously understands that fans are frustrated and obviously they are frustrated. Everybody is frustrated and he wanted so badly to be that arm again to, to start in the rotation and, and kind of turn things around against a very good raised team. And the frustration just built that, that he wasn't able to do that. So not a great start on the mound for him. A ton of credit due to this raised team. That, man, earlier earlier in the week, I gave a ton of credit to this Rays team and what they're able to do and how they're able to do it with the team and payroll that they have. And uh, you could see it firsthand in this game. I mean, they just put pitches in you, guys that are, that are struggling a little bit, putting together great at-bats, guys that aren't struggling, doing what they've been doing all year long. Um, so obviously a lot of credit due to, the, due to the Rays. But this Mets team just needs to be better quite honest with you. It's, it's been very, very bad. They're now three games under the 500 mark. Uh, there's been 43 games entering, entering this game on Tuesday. There were 43 games and 31 times a Mets starter has gone five innings or less. That is 72% of the Mets games this year where the starters, which was supposed to be the strength of this team, going five innings or less. 36 of those 43 less than six innings, which is leading Major League Baseball. Uh, worse than the Oakland A's, who have been historically bad on the mound, who have 34 of those. So uh, this team pitching is, they're leading the National League in walks and leading the National League in home runs given up. That is a terrible combo. Walking guys and giving up homers never works out well for anybody. Uh, offensively, this team has just been um, stagnant. And one thing I, I noticed a lot throughout this game, even in innings where the Rays don't score, they're putting so many pitches in the pitcher. They're longer innings. Uh, Justin will be out there for 25, 30 pitches at a time, and the innings taking 20 minutes. Uh, and then you turn around, and so many of the Mets' innings this year are lasting eight, eight pitches, and it feels like two minutes into the inning, it's already over, and the starting pitcher is back out there. Well, that's not going to cut it. It's just non-competitive innings, non-competitive at-bats, and even the innings where they do score, uh, maybe you get a solo homer, and next thing you know, a couple pitches later, the inning is over. So offensively, when, when the offense is going well, the pitching isn't. When the pitching is going well, the offense is stagnant, 
And that's been the story of this season so far for the New York Mets. Uh, just bad. But we're only about a quarter away through the year. The silver lining here, if you will, the good news is that if you look around the National League, there's not a team other than maybe the Arizona Diamondbacks that is playing good that's not leading a division. Everybody that's not leading their division really isn't playing good baseball, nor do they have a good record aside from the D-backs, as I just mentioned. But look, this is ridiculous. It's a quarter way through the year. You're talking about a team uh, that has spent a lot of money to be good and should be good. There are no moral victories. So I guess the good news is that obviously you're not out of it by any means. And when you look around the league, there are plenty of teams in that same uh, the, the same atmosphere, the, the Padres, another team that spend all this money and they're just not playing good baseball. Um, but there are no moral victories right now. This team is better, should be playing better, and they should be far better than they are currently. And uh, I have, I, I really do believe it'll turn around at some point, but uh, after Tuesday, uh, a tough start from Justin, a tough start to the series against a very, very good baseball team, the best baseball team in baseball this year. And uh, this this Mets team isn't good enough. It needs a shakeup. Uh, I say call up the young guys. Call up Mark Vientos. Call up Ronnie Mauricio. They're raking in the minor leagues. You got to shake something up. The frustration is obvious with this team. You look in the dugout after Drew Smith's inning. He's slamming his glove on the bench. Frustration from the offense and the pitchers. Frustration all around because obviously everybody's frustrated. But the answer becomes, what are you going to do about it? Um, and, and really, I, I think the only... You got to shake things up. You got to bring up guys that are hot. Uh, you you got to push some different buttons because what's happening right now isn't working. The players are frustrated. The fans are frustrated. And uh, anybody watching the Mets play baseball should be frustrated at, at the way they're playing currently. So not a great game on Tuesday. Um, but I do want to welcome in now uh, New York Mets beat writer for MLB.com, Anthony DiComo, who's uh, going to talk all about what's going on from the inside with this team and what he sees and a little bit about Max Scherzer and this offense. And maybe will we see these young guys in Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio soon? So uh, without further ado, let's welcome Anthony in now. All right. Happy to welcome on now Anthony Ducoma, who talks all about the Mets, who has been on before and always enjoy having him on. So, Anthony, thank you for joining me, my friend. Hey, Ben. Happy to be here. So, obviously, it's not going great so far this season for the New York Mets. Uh, $340 million payroll this year, and as we speak, they are an under 500 baseball team after playing over the last couple of weeks. Not a very difficult schedule. So, I, I guess, first off, I want to ask you about this offense, where during the offseason, it appeared they were about to sign Carlos Correa, and Steve Cohen said he was the missing piece to an offense that needed one more bat. That didn't happen, and now this offense is really struggling. What is going on in Queens with the Mets and their offensive production? Yeah, it's, it's easy to point your finger in any number of places. The real answer, Ben, is that it's been the collective outside of maybe Brandon Nimmo, who hasn't been nearly as good lately as he was early in the season. Uh, I'm not sure there's a guy you can point to in the lineup where you're like, that guy's just having a, a better year than we expected. To the contrary, everyone's kind of having a worse year than you expected. Starling Marte has taken a huge step back. He's battled injuries. And Buck Schulter has pointed to that as maybe the root of his issues. 
Pete Alonso has a dozen home runs, but he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot else. He's been batting under 200 for most of the last month. Francisco Lindor has yet to show up and be the MVP caliber type player that we know he can be. Jeff McNeil has taken a step back. So you, you just go up and down the lineup, uh, and there's really no one you can point to as stepping up and being the guy and taking the offense on their shoulders. And it's funny, you mentioned Carlos Correa. Yeah, yeah that would have helped, but I'm not sure even another bat at this point would solve the issues because the issues are from the guy, the big boppers within this lineup who were all really good last year, and the Mets need them to be really good again. Um, that, to me, is a fixable aspect of this team because it's not as if these guys are you know on the wrong side of, of, of age-wise and, and that curve. Like These are guys in their prime. These are guys who can hit, who have a long history of hitting. I fully expect them to regress to the mean in a good way. But until that's happened, uh, you know, the Mets have had all sorts of pitching struggles, which I'm sure we'll get into, and they've needed their lineup to step up, and it just hasn't happened. With with the offense, you mentioned it's, you know, it really stems from the big names needing to do what they do best. Lindor, Pete, as you mentioned, the homers are there, but not a ton other than that. Starling Marte, so within that locker room, in the batting cage, what are these players – uh, are they every day working with the hitting coach? Are they going through swing changes, or is the ch- is the talk just kind of swing your way out of it? This will this will change. You'll be fine. You know, is there a lot of work going on to get through it, or is it just put your head down and keep playing hard? Yeah, I think it's a little more the latter. Then you know, I don't think there's, and I'm glad. Let me say this: I think Mets fans should be glad it's more the latter because yeah. you don't want guys to panic after a bad six yep. seven weeks and be like. And have Jeff McNeil be like, I need to revamp my swing because I'm batting 270 instead of 320. Like, no, no, no. no. That will come, right? Like, Pete's swing is just fine, as evidenced by all the home runs he's hit. Um, It's pitch selection for him. And, you know, he was really good at that the first couple weeks of the season. Hasn't been as good lately. Francisco Lindor has kind of had a bizarre year where his usual power numbers are there, but he's not really hitting the singles. He's not getting the base hits. His batting average is in the tank because of it. Uh, you have to attribute some of that to luck, but it's not the type of thing where you're like, well, Lenore needs to do something totally different than what he's done in years past. So, like I said, I do think it will come for the offense. And and frankly, Ben, this wouldn't be as big of an issue if they were pitching better because they're not. And they're losing these two to one games instead of winning these two to one games. Uh, it's it shined this, this spotlight on the offense and rightfully so, because uh, again, they are just not hitting. I, I agree completely. And you mentioned the pitching, you know, the bright spots of this team this year, when when you talk about the New York Mets was supposed to be a star studded rotation. And so far still early in the year, but how long can you say it's early in the season? At some point it stops being early. You've had Justin who hadn't pitched until a couple of weeks ago, finally back uh, has made a few starts. Now Max Scherzer early on in the year, was not himself, and then we saw everything happen with the suspension, and then he missed a start uh, due to a little lingering injury. Um, Quintana obviously not pitching for some time, so this rotation that was supposed to be a bright spot really hasn't been yet, but there are signs of that turning around. Obviously, Justin's come back and thrown well to this point. Max's last start after coming back looked much better, so I want to ask you about Max Scherzer because what we saw at the beginning of the year from Max was not the Max that we've become accustomed to seeing. 
and then everything happened, and then he misses a start due to an injury, which might have come out of nowhere to some people that hadn't heard about much, but it kind of makes sense. So had Max been pitching with something all year long and just trying to pitch his way through it? It sounds that way, Ben, and it's hard to get inside a guy's head when when that type of situation occurs because certainly only Max Scherzer knows the level of discomfort that he's pitched with. And and I tend to err on the side of trusting guys like that. I'm not sure there's a pitcher in baseball, um, with the exception maybe, of Justin Verlander, who knows his body better than Max Scherzer and understands what he can pitch through and what he cannot pitch through. So if Scherzer says he can pitch through something, I tend to believe him. Now, that being said, as a team, you need to sort of look at it and be like, okay, well, pitching through something is one thing. Pitching effectively through something is another thing. And if you can't do that, then you have to look at other options. So for Scherzer to come back in his last start like he did and have a good, healthy start and see the velo tick back up to where we would expect it to be, uh, see him get the results, like that's a very positive sign for the Mets because without a healthy Max Scherzer, it's hard to envision them really going places this season. This rotation is built around Verlander and Scherzer. They're going to need those guys to get to the postseason. They're going to need those guys at their best if they want to advance in the postseason. Like you said, they missed Verlander for the first five-ish weeks of the season. They were effectively without Max Scherzer as well for that time. Yeah. He had made some starts, but there was that long gap with the suspension. There was the health issues. There was the idea, you know, as we're talking, how much was he really himself? Um, I think it's fair to say that they were kind of without both Verlander and Scherzer for that first first month plus of the season. Now they've got both back. And you just have to hope that they can maintain that health-wise. What's the organizational feeling about what we've seen so far from Kodai Singa? I don't think anybody should have realistically expected this guy to come over from the NPB and dominate every single start the second he gets over here. That's unfair. But what I will say is we have seen glimpses of dominance from him, and we have seen that his stuff plays in the big leagues. So um, a little, you know, he's had some tough struggles. He's had some dominance. What is the organizational feeling so far a month plus into the season of Kodai Senga? Yeah, I think when Senga first came over here and, and all we really had to work on was video scouting reports from what he had done in Japan, I think the general consensus was really good stuff. He's going to get a lot of swings and misses over here. He's probably going to walk quite a few guys. He's going to be inefficient and will struggle to go deep into games, but will be an effective pitcher at times, dominant pitcher at this level. What we've seen has kind of been an exaggerated version of that. Like he's been the scouting report to a T and then some. <laughs> he's done all the things that I just said. And now for me, the next step is seeing if Senga can adjust. The league now has seen him a little bit. There is a lot more video on him. Guys know what he throws. Guys have seen that ghost fork and what it does. Now, can Senga adapt? Can he maybe find the strike zone a little more? Get that walk rate down a little bit. Uh, get ahead and counts a little more so that the ghost fork becomes more effective and guys can't just eliminate it as a pitch and sit it as fastball as they've done on a couple of occasions this season. I think that, to me, is the test. Uh, the Mets are being very careful with Senga, which is the other storyline here. They are basically not allowing him ever to pitch on regular four days rest, which, as you know, is the standard for American yeah. starters. That could change later in the season, but right now, until he gets into a really good groove and they feel that he can not just handle this once-a-week-ish workload, but thrive in it and, and produce really good results, I don't see that changing. So, um, you know, I think what you've seen so far with Senga is who he's been. 
The question is, can he be a little bit more than this? And uh, I would say, objectively, he's probably pitched like a back-end rotation guy at this point. Can he do a little bit more and be that true number three that the Mets, uh, you know, hope they were signing? Another important point that you brought up there, that he's not pitching as a traditional American pitcher does, where you pitch every fifth day. That is not what's traditional in Japan. They typically do not throw, and they have that extra day where they throw every sixth day, which is another important piece here of you have this guy coming over from the MPB where that is all he is used to. We should not expect him to immediately be able to just throw uh, every fifth day over the course of a 162-game season. So there's going to be some bumps, bruises along the way, and the Mets being careful with him not doing that completely makes sense. Um, Anthony, another thing for you. Before Brett Beatty came up, I was very, very vocal about the fact, and I don't, I don't, I'm not big on pushing a panic button early in the season, but I believe what I saw from Brett Beatty in spring training was very impressive. And then it became to a point where the Mets offense was clearly struggling. And though he is a fan favorite, Escobar over at third base was struggling as well. It was time to call up the young guys. And I wasn't just talking Beatty. I was talking Alvarez and I was talking Mauricio, who's still down in AAA. So let's start there. A couple of weeks ago, this wasn't even a talk of him coming up. It seems more and more so like it might be getting closer and closer. What's the latest on Ronnie Mauricio down in AAA? Yeah, look, every week that goes by, he shows you a little something more, and he shows that he can sort of sustain this. Uh, the question with Mauricio has always been, where is he going to play? Since the day that Francisco Lindor signed here long term, uh, it's been, where is Ryan Mauricio going to play? Are the Mets going to trade him? Finally, a couple of weeks ago, they moved him off shortstop, really for the first time in his minor league career. And they do have plans to use him at second, to use him at third, where he's played a little bit in winter ball, uh, to use him even potentially in center field down the line. And the vision here is a player who can be in the lineup every day, but not at the same position, which you've seen a little bit in the past yeah. with guys like Ben Zobrist. Uh, you know, there, there's a real path to success here. Sort of like the way the said. Yankees use DJ LeMahieu, kind of. He's exactly always in the lineup, right. but he's all over the place. Exactly right. Um, the question is, can the Mets do that now? Do they have the personnel mix to make that work? Uh, the guy that I think makes a little more sense to call up right now, who you didn't mention, Ben, is, is Mark Vientos, yep. whose numbers at AAA are even better than Mauricio's. He's a little bit older than Mauricio. He's got more experience at the higher levels of the minors. Uh, there's really very little down there for Vientos yet to prove, whereas Mauricio, Mauricio can you know, stay down there, work on the defense at various positions, and, and you can make that argument. With Vientos, I'm not sure there's a great argument for having him play any more games at AAA. <laughs> uh, you know, if it were up to me, and I think if it were up to a large percentage of this fan base, they would call him up today, have him slot in as your primary DH, maybe get some reps every once in a while at the corner infield spots, and and see if he can be a spark. Because look, maybe he can't. Maybe everyone's overrating this guy based on the AAA results, but you don't know until he comes up and does it. Uh, like you said, they brought Beatty up. He has looked pretty darn good. He's certainly looked like a big leaguer. Uh, why can't Vientos do the same? Last one for you about one of those young guys, the, the top prospect, Francisco Alvarez, catcher. Um, I'm not so sure he was called up to be called. I think his the hand was kind of forced to, to bring him up due to injuries, yeah. and then he was going to be a backup, and then more injuries. And next thing you know, he's thrown into a job where he needs to be he needs to play like the everyday catcher and be their top guy. Um, how has it gone from the organization's eyes? How has it been having Alvarez there at very slow start? Ends up picking it up a bit offensively, but 
Uh, the, just the other day, we saw him get picked off of first base with the bases loaded and two outs, which just can't happen. So clearly bumps and bruises there. But uh, what's the overall feeling about Francisco Alvarez? Yeah, look, he's still a rookie. He's very much a rookie. He shows you, you know, from time to time uh, in various ways that pickoff was was one of the bigger ones lately. But I think there are some really encouraging signs here. And frankly, it has nothing to do with the offense. Uh, his defense has more or less been pretty good. And you got to remember, coming up, this was a guy who was really knocked for his defense. Like, can he stay at catcher long term? Can he actually play the position uh, at the high levels? Yeah. And he's done that pretty good. Like, he's, his framing numbers are among the best in the league. More important than that, even, I would say, these pitchers on the staff, uh, you know, especially the veteran pitchers, I'll single out Max Scherzer for this, they really like throwing to Alvarez, which is a good first step for a yeah. catcher. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite defensive catcher, but he has already shown enough signs early that he can certainly stick at the position and be pretty good, at least be good enough. The offense, I think, will come. You know, He's going to grow into that power. It's light tower power. We've all seen it during batting practice. We've seen it from time to time in games. It's starting to come around. There's still a lot of swing and miss in his game, and he can sort of get amped up in these big moments yeah. and you know, make some swing decisions that he shouldn't. But you can certainly see that this is a big league player who once he gets settled in and sees more big league pitching should be pretty good offensively. Um, there's a lot to like here, Ben. And, uh, you know, frankly, going into the year, I was skeptical that Alvarez would see a ton of playing time. But now that he has come up for a few weeks showing what he can do, I think he's going to get the bulk of the opportunities yeah. going forward to catcher for sure. Awesome. Well, Anthony, always a pleasure having you on, my friend. You can check out all of his work, Mets Beat Writer for MLB.com. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks for having me on. All right. See ya. All right. And now we got another good guest joining us, our own Fox Sports MLB writer, Rowan Kavner. Rowan, thank you for joining me again, my friend. Yeah, man. Good to see you. Yeah, you as well. And I, I want to start with a series that just wrapped up the other day. One of the top, you know, superstars everywhere becoming a huge rivalry, Padres Dodgers. I'm assuming you were there for some, if not all of this series. Uh, would I be correct in saying that? You would be correct. I was there for all three. It was a good time. Love that. So let's start there with, with this series. And uh, Dave Roberts over the offseason was rather critical of his team, saying he didn't feel like they had the drive in the series against the Padres. Well, that didn't look to be the case in, in this regular season series. So uh, what did you see from this dominant series victory from the Dodgers over the Padres? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was really interesting. And, and obviously, we know what happened last October, and, and the Padres kind of had all that momentum really building. And even with the slow start, it was kind of like, well, you know what? Fernando Tatis isn't here. That's a pretty big deal. Comes back April 20th. They were 9 and 11 at that point. They started to kind of build some momentum. And then they had the series even before that weekend in San Diego against the Dodgers. They won that first game. You're starting to think, okay, maybe this is the group you thought you'd see. And then the Dodgers take the final two. And so another matchup, you know, the next weekend at Dodger Stadium, maybe a chance to kind of regroup. It sounded like Bob Melvin uh, kind of got into them a little bit about, look, this this needs to be better. This needs to be cleaned up. And then the Dodgers sweep them. So is it too early to talk about, you know, statements? Maybe, but it felt pretty important. This is a group, the Padres group, that's now really full and, and looking like uh, it should be kind of getting going now with Tatis back in the lineup. You have Soto hitting well again. So to see that happen the way it did, the lack of timely hitting, the lack of hitting 
at all. The fact that it's May 16th and the Reds have a better OPS than the Padres right now, it's all pretty surprising. And meanwhile, the fact that the Dodgers have won 14 of 16, yes, it is mid-May, but that lead is growing a lot. Let's start there with with the Padres. First off, when you say it sounded like Bob Melvin got into him a little bit, I what happened there? Yeah, I think after that Minnesota series, he basically just sort of said, and that was right before the weekend sweep, mm-hmm. basically just said, this isn't good enough and and kind of challenged them to, to, all right, it's time to kind of get going, get another gear. I thought it was interesting that after the sweep on Sunday, I think he struck a little bit more of a positive tone and just said, kind of, you know, it's they got to do it. You know, it, it, at some point you got to sustain this. It sort of seemed like they might've been turning a corner a little bit. And then the last week happened. So it definitely took some wind out of the sails. Look, if they get going here and they win 10 straight or they win, you know, 11 of 12 at some point here, we might be talking about something different. But as it stands right now, this just hasn't been the group that you would think might be able to kind of build the momentum of last postseason. And again, I think the fact that the Dodgers have been as hot as they've been after taking a step back from spending just makes those issues in, in San Diego a little bit more glaring. It's been it's been like weirdly bad for the Padres. Everybody <laughs> was talking about them being the best offense in, in baseball, pretty much consensus. Well, the best offense is the Padres. Well, as of right now, with runners in scoring position, the Padres are hitting under 200, which over the course of a full season has never happened. Now, do I believe that will stay true for 162? I, I do not. But a quarter of the season, they're on pace to do something that has never happened with, the, with an offense that is elite or should be elite. Are they pressing the panic button when it comes to the offense, or is it just sort of at some point you gotta you gotta hit your way out of this? I, I think it's probably that. I mean, I don't think they're gonna hit 198 with runners in scoring position the rest of the year. I think it's the worst <laughs> in baseball right now. Um, I, I will say though, I think if you're a Padres fan, you'd like to hear a little more urgency. I thought it was interesting to hear Manny Machado after the sweep. Kind of talk about you look at these baseball cards there's a lot of good players here and yeah that's true but you know it's not april anymore this is mid-may that it's still been scuffling and at some point you got to kind of put it into gear and not to mention they're not second right now there's a young arizona team yeah. and i'm not saying i think the diamondbacks are going to finish higher by the end of the year but at some point you got to kick this into gear it doesn't look like the dodgers are slowing down here um as bad as it's been with runners in scoring position it hasn't been great even without runners in scoring position. So they really need to find a way to get it going. It seems like Bogart's kind of carried them early on and looked like a great signing. He's kind of slowed down a little bit. Soto's been mega hot and looks like he's he's back to being himself right now. Tatis has been pretty good. But you look at the other pieces right now, they're not getting much help either. So, uh, you know, they need Machado to kick it to another gear. They need some of these other depth pieces to, to get going because at some point, that that lead might just get a little bit insurmountable. Yeah. Last one on the Padres for you. I know you cover both of these teams uh, for MLB on Fox, so I want to ask you about both of these teams. But with Juan Soto, you just mentioned him and how he's mega hot right now. Man, what a conversation this has been over the course of the last year with Juan Soto, who I, I think be- last year, before last year, if you ask 100 baseball fans who's the best hitter in the game of baseball – at a very young age, many of them would already tell you it's Juan Soto and how he could potentially be an all-time great. And I still believe that that to be true, that he could be an all-time great, but he's gone through about a year's worth of struggles, obviously being on a very bad team and then getting traded mid-season and one of the biggest trades ever, so there's a lot there. But then to start this season, 
when it seems he would be more comfortable, it was bad. And now it, he's he's on fire. So w- what happened would be my question <laughs> to you. What, how, how was he able to bust out of this slump? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He's posting the best hard hit rate of his career right now, and I think it's easy to miss. And, and he was hitting the ball pretty hard for, for most of this season. But one kind of interesting thing, it was a lower like launch angle. He was grounding the ball out a lot more. You kind of wonder if there's maybe it creeps into his head a little bit, just the, the, the struggles that were happening. You know, you turn down a contract of when you're turning down more than $400 million, I think it's hard just <laughs> mentally, naturally, you want to you want to be able to perform. You're in a place where you know you have a team around you that has these high expectations. So you wonder if there's a little bit of that and maybe just through the course of time, you can kind of just relax a little bit and remember you're one of the greatest hitters in baseball. Um, But uh, I think that's pretty much all I'm seeing. He's hitting the ball harder than he has at any point. I'm not too worried about him. I think there maybe was a time, you know, maybe a month ago where you start to maybe question some things, but He's turned it around in a way that I don't think is is, is questionable anymore. Um, you know, maybe he figured out something in his swing to be able to loft it a little more, to not just hit it hard into the ground, but um, he looks like himself again. On the flip side of things, this feels like the first year in a long time where people weren't just picking the Dodgers to easily win the division. Uh, the talk was, oh, I th- the Padres are the better team this year. Well, so far, about a quarter of the season – same old, same old, right? The the Dodgers are at the top of the division. They're dominating the Padres. And it's been a little bit different with them this year in terms of, yeah, they they still have two MVPs in the lineup and, and Mookie and Freddie, but they've been getting production elsewhere. And for the beginning of the season, uh, Mookie hasn't even really been the Mookie the, that we've been accustomed to seeing over the course of his career. It seems like we might be starting to get back to that. We've seen the power come around. Uh, in terms of Mookie Betts, we'll start there. Uh, what have we seen from him? Is he uh, going through some things with his swing, trying to get back to normal? Uh, what's going on with Mookie Betts? Yeah, he 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 didn't seem to be like lacking for confidence. He he didn't seem that uh, he was particularly pleased with how he was playing to, to start the year. But yeah, you touched on it. Uh, he's been a lot better as of late. He's looked like himself. He's had a tendency sometimes to have slower starts. He talked about that. He only had four home runs in March and April. He already has five in May and we're at May 16th right now. So he's starting to look like himself. He's doing a lot, especially early in games. You get a lot of these leadoff homers and all of a sudden the, the Dodgers or Clayton Kershaw has an early lead to work with. That, that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, but I, I still think as he goes, the rest of this team goes. He's that kind of, of a spark in this lineup. And, and you can talk about everyone else kind of up and down. But you look at when they've won games, he has a, a 900 OPS or better. When they've lost games, I think he has a 708 OPS. Wow. Just the way that he can impact a game, it, it shows up in these wins and losses. And and it, it, the fact that he can also play shortstop for a team that lost Gavin Lux, uh, and you have a gold glove right fielder at, at 30 years old being able to do that, um, the versatility has been really, really huge for this team. And I think the other thing with him, I think sometimes you want to keep his just him mentally checked in. And I think being able to kind of do something else to have a little bit more fun. He's always wanted to play the infield. I think he knew he'd maybe get a chance to play some second base, but this is a guy that takes grounders at shortstop before every game. I think this is just fun for him. And when he's having a good time and he's completely locked in like this, these are the types of performances I think you can get. Rowan, let's not go making 30 seem old, okay? That that one is shot. That one <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm on the north end of that too, man. <laughs> um, so this team, the Dodgers, the way – 
the way it was built this year with the departure of Trey Turner and you're relying a lot on other guys to step up, one of those was going to be Gavin Lux, who obviously, unfortunately, went through what he did in spring training and is now missing the season. Even more so, you got to get guys that are going to step up that you might not have been expecting. Uh, Max Muncy has been great this year. But James Altman, I know hasn't been as hot as he was over the course of the first month of the season, but still having a great season. Uh, did people within the organization expect this from James Altman? You know, you saw a glimpse of it last year. And and when he came up, he was super hot and then kind of got sent back down again. And and I don't know if they could have expected this. You know, I, I'm, I'm working on a story with him that it'll come out on, on Fox in a little bit, but got to talk to, to some of his high school coaches. Even they're like, this is unbelievable. Like, I think this is a guy that came out of nowhere a little bit with Sacramento State. He was a football player in high school. A lot of his coaches there thought he'd be a better football player than baseball player. He wasn't a guy who ever even hit 300 in high school, or excuse me, in college. To be able to do it to this level this quickly, I think, is, is a shock. But they completely fixed his swing. He's worked with a lot of hitting coaches over the years. He's talked about how he almost had kind of like a caveman-like swing back when he first kind of started. And now he just has a lot better idea. He's a super athletic guy who has figured out a way to really make it work, to create power. Um, I think the biggest thing is the strikeout rate that was high in, in the minor leagues. It's still high right now. There's a world in which he can live at like a 30% strikeout rate. And if he's knocking 30 homers a year, I don't right. think you care so much. You can live <laughs> with it. So he's got to be able to keep that at a manageable level. Um, you know, it was interesting. You mentioned kind of, you know, the downturn a little bit. This is the, the rookie of the month in April, a little bit less so right now. You kind of wondered, do pitchers maybe have something on him? It's just the fact that he's been here a little bit longer. Talking to Dodgers people, it doesn't sound like that's necessarily it. I think it might be a little bit just more ebbs and flows of a season. You're always kind of, you know, working and tweaking things, maybe getting some velocity up a little bit. So it's going to be an adjustment, and, and, and he's never really had to do that yet. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of get back to those levels. Well, I can promise you one thing a rookie doesn't love. I was watching the game Monday night. It doesn't help that your player of the month or rookie of the month in April and then going through a little bit of a struggle and then don't play all game and then in the 12th inning you're tabbed to come in against Jorge Lopez and punch <laughs> out there. That is not a good feeling when you hear your name called that. that yeah, that, that, that's tough when you're scuffling a little bit. And that's actually, you know, the opposite side of that, though, is, is Trace Thompson who – is just mired in a really awful slump, gets picked off at first base in that game and then gets a chance yeah, late. And, true. you know, you walk with the bases loaded. It's probably not the the home run that maybe he expected to hit or something like that. But you'll take that. When you're scuffling, you'll take that. So maybe James Outman needs that. Just a couple walks, a hit here or there, and, and maybe you'll start to see that power open up again. Last one for you. I, I said we're just – we're right around the quarter mark of the season. Still a long way to go. I don't know who your preseason prediction was, but what is your full season prediction now for how the NL West shapes out? Yeah, Um I, I would have thought that the Padres probably had a little bit more, especially the, the Lux injury is what kind of did it to me. I just, I didn't, I didn't know if they'd be able to, to make up for that with what they had. And, and it's been tough for, for the Dodgers to do that. That said, they won 14 of 16. The fact that Muncie is leading the, the, the majors in home runs right now, that, that Mookie and, and Freddie seem to be having it going. The fact that Will Smith has turned into one of the, probably the best hitter on the team, at least this season has been the best hitter on yeah. the team will probably be an all-star this year. Um, they're getting production from the rookies. We mentioned James Outman. Miguel Vargas has really been getting it going this year. I think if you ask most people, that's the guy they would have, the rookie they probably would have expected to, to get hot at some point this year. So just looking at all this, 
it's hard to say that the Dodgers aren't going to win this one again. Ten of the last eleven, I kind of think it's going to be eleven of the last of the next eleven of twelve rather. Um, I do think the Padres make it in, and and you saw last October just getting in. That's that's really all you yeah. got to do, and who knows what happens at that point. But I still think there's too much talent there for that not to happen. But uh, definitely through a month and a half here. It, I have a different opinion of, of what was going to happen in this division. Yeah. Rowan, always a pleasure, my th- my friend. Thank you for joining me. Everybody, make sure you follow Rowan Kavner, and all of his work can be found on uh, the foxsports.com, Fox Sports app. I'm looking forward to the James Altman story that you have coming out very soon. So thanks as always, my friend. Thanks, Ben. All right, and that does it for this exciting drama-filled Wednesday episode of Flippin' Bats. Wanted to thank Anthony and Rowan both for joining me to talk some Mets, Padres, Dodgers, a little bit of everything there. The Aaron Judge situation, Justin Start on the mound on Tuesday. This one was a lot of fun, and thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple or Spotify, wherever. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch every single episode as well on YouTube at Flippin' Bats pod for all of them. But for this Wednesday episode, until tomorrow, this has been another episode of Flippin' Bats. Peace.